Let's spread a song so you can sing along with my special guest star too. For two, you like to sing and dance, and this podcast by chance explores musicals for you. everyone welcome back to another episode of life's but a song a podcast likes to live in the land of musicals i'm your host john and with me today is bestie of the pod and my bestie in real life lauren just monday oh that was a good intro very nice i felt like singing the song the title of the podcast i may do that one episode who knows mm-hmm. um, how are you lauren you know i'm doing okay i'm doing all right how are yeah. you uh, well, I got really angry at this movie. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. I got so angry. Uh, we're here today to talk about My Fair Lady from mm. 1964. Uh, the screenplay is by Alan J. Lerner. Music by Frederick Lowe. Lyrics by Alan J. Lerner. Directed by George Cucker. I'm going with it. And according to IMDb, in 1910s London, snobbish phonetics professor Henry Higgins agrees to wager that he can make a crude flower girl, Eliza Doolittle, presentable in high society. So, yeah. Uh, Lauren, do you want to tell the good people why you picked this movie? I know why. You do actually. Um, oh, I know a reason why. Yes, you probably do know. Uh, you probably do know one reason. That is true. Uh, so, so, for those of you who don't know, the first two musicals I ever owned on DVD, like bought with my own money, in two thousand three, two thousand four, were the two disc edition of The Sound of Music, which somebody from college stole, like, borrowed from me, and never gave back. And I'm still <laughs> pissed about it. Because the second DVD has like the most amazing like featurette, like documentary style, like the making of the sound of music. And I'm still pissed at that person who shall remain nameless for not returning me my goddamn DVDs. Oh. And the other one was My Fair Lady. They were the first two uh, DVDs I ever purchased with my own money. So it does hold a nostalgic place in my heart. The other reason, and I suppose this is the one that matters to John uh-huh. is that this was the first musical that we did together in high school. Yeah, it is, baby. <laughs> Not the first musical we did together, first musical we did in high school. Correct. We're going to try so hard not to talk only about our trauma, I mean, memories of <laughs> that show. Um, I really hate Henry, Henry Higgins. I really do. And he's, he's in, at least in the movie, because I can't remember the show itself, Rex Harrison plays him so deplorable that at the end of the three fucking hours that this movie is, <laughs> don't get me that, like, I'm mad already at that. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, now I'm super pissed at this movie. Um, when all of a sudden he's like, uh, when he, we get to have grown accustomed to her face, I'm like, where did all this come from? You didn't like her at all while you were training her. And then even to the point when you get home, like from the ball, you're talking all about your accomplishments and it's really her accomplishments. Like I'm with her. I stand with her. 
It's but, true. You're not you're not wrong. But I'm still a little confused why all of a sudden like did did I miss something? I know I I know before we started recording I talked about how I like wasn't really paying attention to this movie, <laughs> but I listened to it. But I feel like I didn't really miss anything of like him I don't want to say falling in love with her because I follow the Will and Grace rule that both Higgins and Pickering are gay men, but did I miss something? I think you did, actually. Okay, great. <laughs> did my anger uh, blind me to something? Probably, and, I, and, and I've fallen victim to that more than once in my life, so I understand where you're coming from. I also think it's important to mention really quick that My Fair Lady is actually based off of a play titled Pygmalion by George Bernard Shaw. So the play came first, and actually a lot of the script for the original musical and then in turn the screenplay for the movie is direct pulls from the play so that's also worth noting so if you like I got to see and I I read Pygmalion actually when we did My Fair Lady my parents bought me a copy of like one of those um Signet classic books that had the first half of the book was the script for Pygmalion and the second half was the script for My Fair Lady I think I still have it somewhere in my bedroom, like in my library. Um, And so that, so what happens is, is that um, Henry Higgins initially, or really for most of the movie, truly treats Eliza not as a person. She's an object. She's property. And he he even talks about her Mm -hmm. by not even using pronouns or... Mm -hmm other human language he calls mm-hmm. um i'm blacking this movie out on purpose because I'm, i want to forget it uh, <laughs> um but like yeah he uses he what does he call her he calls her something that she then throws back later in his face where when she stands up for herself i started cheering i was like yes. go girl and then at yes. the end when she shows up again i like wanted to flip tables because i got so angry of course well that's why when they revived the musical here in new york uh, i think it was in 2019 or 2021 i forget what year it was it was, recently oh, it, revived. was bef- it was before that it was like 16 17 oh okay <laughs> I saw it, so I, I don't honestly, honest to God, don't remember, but I did see it. Um, they changed the ending for that reason because it was just after the, it was like the um, uptick of the Me Too movement, and people mm-hmm. were in the in our industry were talking about whether or not shows like My Fair Lady, shows like Carousel, um, Man of La Mancha, have a place in today's theatrical canon for the way in which they treat women a lot of the time. And, you know, I can get into how, you know, a lot of the shows were being written by men. There were maybe two or three female composers actively working at this period of time. So, and even then, like the stories that were being told were not fantastic to begin with as far as how women are being represented, right? The reason Henry Higgins, to get back to the thing we were actually talking about, the reason Henry Higgins has a change of heart is, first of all, after she stands up for herself and she's sitting at his mother's house having mm-hmm. tea and, you know, and her mother and his mother ultimately says to him, you know, 
if you really want her in your life, if you really want her to stay, you cannot continue to treat her the way you were. She's a, you know, she, 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 call her, she calls him out on his piss poor behavior. Right. But even before then, uh-uh. uh, after the ball and the, before they go to bed and everyone congratulates Henry Higgins yep. for winning mm-hmm. the bet and everything, like Eliza lays some truths on him being like, oh yeah. Okay, so now the bet's over. What what's going to happen to me? And then he's being flippant. He's being like, blah blah. I don't care. Whatever. You're just gonna wake up and blah blah blah. And she's like, no. Like honestly, what is going to happen? Because the bet, the the bet that I was privy to the whole time uh-huh. was for up until the ball. Uh-huh. The ball's over. What's gonna happen now? And he's being a man. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no other way. No other way to describe it. He's being a man. And then she says, "Fine, I'm leaving." Uh, and then they had that whole discussion about like what's hers, what's his, you know, with the clothes and everything, because she doesn't uh-uh. want to be charged with robbing him. Yeah. Um, and so she's like, "Okay, I'm leaving then." And then when he wakes up in the morning and realizes that she's gone, that's when he starts to care. And I'm like, but wait, where did this come from? Because it seemed like overnight, all of a sudden you're like, she's my best friend. I think it started earlier than that. We see traces of it during the rain in Spain. You see it during, I could have danced all night. The groundwork is is there. I think I was just maybe I was blinded by my rage. You're listen. You're like I said. You are absolutely entitled to get frustrated as all get out with this particular story. I mean, also, also, so okay. Let's get personal on this episode. When we mm-hmm. did this in high school, oh, was, you're going to start this conversation. Okay, let's go. It was one of the better musicals I was part of in my four years there. Mm-hmm. like overall like we had a great we had a great cast they treated us like actors not like students really but there were things that happened that affect me still to this day physically mm-hmm. that you know I'm watching it and I'm just remember I was remembering everything and I'm hating the whole thing by the way like if you haven't seen anything My Fair Lady related, you have because there's a modern retelling of it called She's All That that everyone has seen. So, and even that we criticize because of the thing. Um, but yeah, so going through our high school production of it and like, I feel like they didn't cut anything out of this because this whole thing is th- almost three hours long. No, so, no, no. It's basically the stage show. Just so like, I'm, you know, budget. I, I'm remembering how, like, like Lauren and I have had discussions about this outside of the podcast where, like, this was an unsafe production. We should have spoken out more and everything on certain aspects. And if you, the listeners, want to know more, just, you know, the socials, reach out to me and I'll tell you off air, off the record. But... <laughs> Lauren understands what I'm saying in code, so she. Kn- um, I'm more than happy to talk about at least what initially was a red flag for me. There were, I mean, there were a bunch of red flags, but I my first red flag was um, 
they only called back that at that point, like maybe four of us freshmen. Uh-huh. So um, we found out, oh, you're going to call back. And I was like the most excited. Like I thought, <laughs> I thought like they're going to see me for Eliza. I know this girl. I know this character. Sock it to me, bitch. Not really understanding that high school theater has a hierarchy because oh, yeah. I was coming from Gateway. I was coming from other worlds and not really understanding that the, you know, it didn't, that, you know, that there's other things that come into play uh, when you're in high school. Naive. You're coming from, uh, for those of you who don't know what Gateway is, when she says she's coming from like non-educational theater, so like community yeah. theater, somewhat regional theater, where like I mean, I mean, at that go, point in time, they were still they were an equity house, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So you go in, you are you actually audition, and they actually cast, in theory, based <laughs> off talent, not off of nepotism or anything like that. But obviously, mm-hmm. when we did it, we were. We were in high school. There's uh-huh. some sort of nepotism uh-huh. there. We're like, obviously, there's politics. Our... Yeah, yeah, there's we're... obvious politics, you know, and they pick we're the like shows. The, the seniors or juniors uh-huh. are leads. And then, like, I was um, in the quartet because in the stage version, there's a Cockney quartet. And then I was one of Doolittle's friends. Yeah, I remember that, and like, oh boy, but you, what was your story? No, no, no. My story is what has when (laughs) involves myself and my mother. Um, I have a very wonderful um, Italian American mother who is was very protective of me. She's still pretty protective, but it was much more intense when I was younger. Um, I was, I've always been busty, always been buxom. Um, and I didn't realize in this dance call that it was all jumps. We were jumping for three hours straight, practically. And I did not wear the appropriate garments. And here I am at the age of 14 in front of all of these teachers with like my tits bouncing up and down and up and down for hours. And I came home and I was sore at book. Um, and was like having to ice myself and my mother. Hell hath no fury is the first time Louise Gismondi <laughs> made a phone call to the school. <laughs> it happened a few more times over the years. Um, but the first time she made a phone call and she was just like, what did you do to her? This is uncalled for, this is inappropriate. And I mean, my mother was right. And the reality is that if we had stood up for ourselves as much as maybe we weren't sure we could have, I think that there was a real concern of retaliation of like you saying something and, you know, if they have a problem with whatever it was you were saying, you, it may cost you. And and that happened to me at one point when I was a student there as well, where they wanted to teach me a lesson. And it was, I mean, that's, I'm not going to, I'll say it, it's fucked up. That is a fucked up way to run a system. Right. I have no problem saying that on the record because it's all true. I mean, also <laughs> within the show, hmm. this production that we did, we used... I oh, can't the milk? Be, are we going to talk about the milk crates? crates? The egg, the egg crates. crates. The milk yeah. and the egg crates. Oh my we, God. We oh used... My, oh God. They turn... We had to use we had we had to have crates, wooden crates for whatever reason, and they used the plastic egg crates, milk crates, whatever, 
yeah. as the base and then stuck wood to it. Now, if you, uh, and then they expected us to like make them into a mini staircase and then we would like walk on it and hop as well. And I'm pretty yep. sure all of us had the same thought of we're going to die. <laughs> yes. 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 It's not the first, listen, I'm not going to lie to you in hindsight. When I think about how many times I was put in danger over the course of being a high school theater student, I'm actually disgusted and kind of mad about it. This and the- like, I worked, I, I went to therapy. We worked through it. Um, and we're going to work through it through this episode as well. Yeah, I guess now that I'm in this headspace, here we are. But here's the thing. I want to be abundantly clear. My Fair Lady has one of the most beautiful scores. This movie did win a ton of Oscars. And the costumes are friggin' outrageous. Do I believe that there was a real injustice done when they cast Audrey Hepburn instead of Julie Andrews? Andrews. Yes. Yes. And that was actually one of the featurettes on the DVD um, for to The Sound of Music because they, had, they, they didn't want her for My Fair Lady, but they did take her on for The Sound of Music because Warner Brothers didn't think that she had a face for film and television. And they didn't think that she could, that she would, with, that she could hold the thing on her own. And I'm like, this lady wait, played wait. the Isn't it? it- she did in uh it's mm-hmm. that instead she did Mary Poppins and then that got her sound of music and everything else. I don't remember which comes first actually if if sound of music was filmed first or Mary Poppins. They were right they were back to back either way. Cuz re- her thing, her running joke Julie Andrews was very much like I got sick of doing the nanny trope. <laughs> well, it was also that I remember at some award show she mm-hmm. actually thanked Disney I think it was for, did she win the Academy Award for Sound and Music? Yeah, yeah, she did. So when she won the Academy for Sound and Music, she thanked Disney for her film career, basically, because that got her pop it, like they gave her Poppins and then so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, Julie Andrews was the original Eliza Doolittle. And I mean, we stand Julie Andrews on this podcast. Um, <laughs> Because she can do no wrong, except, I mean, the story is terrible, but that's not not her fault. She's just doing her job. But when they cast Audrey Hepburn, they had to cast a singing voice. Uh And that is the one and only Marnie Nixon, everyone. Yes, my girl, Marnie. Yes. Well, what's interesting is they did actually put Audrey Hepburn in voice lessons. Well, because I feel like... In... And the re- hold oh wait I got another bit of information. Oh, the recordings of her singing the songs do exist. I heard them, and I was very happy they changed course. Well, so do they use her? <laughs> do they use Audrey's voice when she's doing the Cockney, or is it still Marnie Nixon? That's all Marnie Nixon. I think. Okay. Let me find out because Marnie yeah. Nixon. Yeah, I'm looking at Love Early. And yeah. it's uh, on the Wikipedia page and it says it's dubbed by Marnie. So yeah. I think it's all Marnie. Marnie does all the singing in the movie. It's just her. And it was actually, that was a big 
weird kind of controversy at the time because of course they're like why didn't you just get Julie Andrews to do the voice and Marnie Nixon when she went to go do the sound of music she was one of she was sister Margareta I think in the movie she was like a nervous wreck going to go meet Julie Andrews and was just sitting there going like oh my god I I sang the role that she sang and I really hope that you know she doesn't hate me (laughs) for taking the job and thankfully you know julie andrews is as we all know a gracious human being and she was like i'm just such a fan of your work thank you for all you do and i was like i do have a good memory from our production that Mm -hmm. i want to that will lead back into the movie sure so fun this is a fun story because it's because it's so like typical teenagers in the song (laughs) ascot gavat (laughs) (laughs) Lori knows exactly so um the end of every verse in ascot gavat ends at at the ascot opening day and then after the race happens it's at the ascot opening race now we for whatever reason never learned (laughs) when it was day and when it was race so Every verse, it was at the Ascot opening days. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie, when I was watching the movie, as well as they were trying to be prim and proper and everything, I was still going, Ascot op- opening days. Yes, Ascot opening days. Drace. Drace. <laughs> where, okay, so do you... This movie yes. is supposed to be making commentary as well as society where yeah it's political it's it is okay is it satirical Mm. because like maybe a little bit because like yes i hate henry higgins but a lot of the things that he was saying felt like it was a lot of the actual thoughts of the upper class at the time or, or well, the educated specifically because he is a professor right you have the professor and the colonel so they are the co- upper class right or is he a little xenophobic because there there's a whole monologue he has at the beginning where he can place people and find the way they speak yeah why and can't he, the english learn to speak, speak. Yeah. yeah that one i was just like oh is this is he xenophobic is he racist what's going on because obviously he's a a white, uh, educated, upper-class professor. I would say classist. Classist. Classist is a bit more broad, <laughs> I think. He was an ist. He encompassed all of those things. <laughs> it is. Well, he, you know, he, I mean, that's why like, he is an asshole. Yeah. And he does need to grow up in this movie. Out mm-hmm. of all the characters, he's the one who actually needs to grow up the most. Yeah, because so the bet is played, for those of you who have never seen this movie, Kudos to you. So the bet is placed <laughs> between Professor Henry Higgins and Colonel Pickering, whose first name I forget, and I don't really care. Um, but Colonel Pickering at least treats Eliza like a human. Yes. Even though he does ignore her at points. Or like there's moments when she's learning to perfect her speech or change her accent and like there there's that scene where they're having food they're they're eating and drinking tea and they're having like you know 
tea like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it's afternoon tea and she's sitting there like clearly hungry and none of them has offered her anything and i'm like i get it that you that henry higgins doesn't see her as a person but like pickering give her a fucking sandwich <laughs> <laughs> there's some jokes and they use that term loosely that i was like this isn't funny uh it's been a while since i hated something for this podcast so i think i went full-blown hatred on this one that's listen you're not wrong there are plenty of people out there who feel exactly the same way and then they are got, frustrated by it you know and then it got me spiraling into thinking about like I said, she's all that. And I was like, well, we do comment on that and they make commentary. And then it got me thinking of not another teen movie. Follow me on this train of thought. So in that movie, Chris Evans plays the popular jockey boy who is in the She's All That movie. But he sounds like Henry Higgins. (laughs) He doesn't sound like the guy in She's All That. He sounds more like, oh, she, she this person's gross. She's got glasses and a ponytail. And I was like, that's basically Henry Higgins. But like teenager, modern teenager. <laughs> Not turn of the century asshole professor. Right. They modernized it. Yeah. Also... Watching this movie, a lot of his machinery and <laughs> I was and and ways of of teaching, I was like, I don't know what any of this is. Is it like is this true? Did they did the props person just make up some fun things <laughs> like the candle? No, I do believe in the candle thing. I do believe that because it's an easy way to catch plosives. Got Close it. of consonants, P's and B's, puh, puh, buh, buh, buh. And then so that makes sense. The, the push the air with the H. Yes. How do you do? <laughs> and honestly, her at the races is my favorite scene in the whole movie. That is the moment where I'm like, I see so much of myself of in Eliza at that point in the story. Where I know I'm from my past experience, like I've gone to places where I have I look like I fit in, <laughs> and I do for like maybe twenty minutes, and then somebody says something, and all of a sudden I turn into the piece of Long Island trash that I actually am. Well, I mean, she's getting excited, and she met. Yes, I mean, the, <laughs> there's one person in this movie that I didn't hate, and that was Freddie. Freddie, Freddie loves her. It's so sweet. And even from like his introduction in the opening, mm-hmm. like he is the nicest person ever, and I don't think he actually knows that that was Eliza from the. Like when he uh, in the opening when it's raining and she is the right, flower right. girl and he mm-hmm. helps her up, but then later when he meets her again at the races, I don't think he connects the two. Not initially. I think when if it does happen at all, it's before it's right around show me where she you know tears and <laughs> pretty bad. She's Apparently on. So it's one of those songs that I'm like it still um, holds up today i would say almost all of eliza's songs actually hold up by today's standards i have a question about one of them sure Which wouldn't one? it wouldn't it be loverly mm-hmm. is that really her want or is it just her want for this story she doesn't really go into her past 
ever. Well, you get a glimpse of it from when when Alfred comes around. For those right, who but know, Alfred I, is her father, who's um a bit of a delinquent. I mean, but like she doesn't say that she wants a flower shop uh, until Higgins offers the lessons. Right, right, right. Well, I think it's also coming from that. All comes from like, wouldn't it be lovely? She basically is saying these are all the basic needs I would love to see met. I want a room that's warm and cozy. I, you know, would love a to chocolate. have somebody. I would love to have some chocolate. I mean, really, actually, it. I, I yes, yes, Eliza. I too would like a room that's warm and cozy and a big chair, and I would like some chocolates, and I would love to have like some guy laying in my lap. <laughs> like, actually. Those are like, yes. And then the thing about the flower shop is like, okay, all those needs are met. What's next? What's your next level want? Was I wild in her case? I want to be a lady in a flower shop. So I don't want to be just some girl on Tottenham Court Road selling flowers. I want to be, I want to actually be inside in a shop. So we're here, we're, we're defining the song Loverly as her I want song. Yes. Cool. I, I it's honestly, only because it's well, it's only because it's the lyrics. What are the first words? All that she said? I want is a room. Is, yeah. She straight up says that's all I want. And then the other op, then, you know, like I said, the basic needs get met and it's, whoa, okay. I feel stable. I feel secure. What else can I do? See, I wasn't sure mm-hmm. if it was because of Henry Higgins giving her that glint of hope that that's the cause of now all of this you know want i would say yes i would say he is a catalyst if there's a positive to come from henry higgins no there's never a positive if there is one i said if If, okay okay it is that he is a catalyst in her in giving her the opera in helping her achieve the opportunity to move up in society and again, he's a classist pig, so he's only going to help as much as he can help. And, you know, and then, of course, you know, later on in the movie, when she says that she's going to marry Freddie to him, he's like, why would you do that? He's, you know, he's stupid. He he he, he doesn't work. And, da, da, da. and she's like, well, I'll just take care of him then. And, you know, and she's like, okay with this. She's like, because I would rather be, have take care of him than be around the likes of you. You know, she starts to... yeah. She has, I think she always has standards, but she never had the opportunity to really work within them and express them to others. And then when people cross those boundaries, snap back. My personal favorite is that, you know, her she, her father comes around on a regular basis looking for money and she always tells him no. <laughs> and, and then, then we caves. have the side wager. Yes. And then the side wager of like. And that, but know. then he come. Then he comes in and sells off his daughter, and then yes. we don't see him until almost the end, where he's now in money. Yeah, that was the whole thing. Is like that's what the side wager that ends up happening between Pickering, Higgins, and Alfred and Alfred Doolittle is he's like, I bet I could make this man into you know a man about town. And so yeah, so Henry, that's what the start of I'm getting married in the morning is. Is, is, you know, he encounters Henry Higgins and he's like, this is all your fault. 
Oh no, that's he says it to Eliza. Alfred says it to his daughter. He's like, "This is all your fault. If I had never met that professor, I never would have met this woman, and now I'm getting married." But yeah, was, and then all of a sudden, he, yeah, he meets somebody who has money, and now all of a sudden, he's going to be taken care of for life. And now he's marrying uh, his second wife or third yes. wife, whatever. She oh was. yeah, whoever, however many there are. But, oh, and he calls, and Henry Higgins refers to Eliza as deliciously low. And a gutter snipe. Gutter snipe, that's it. <laughs> that's what she throws yeah. back at him. Yes, yes. She's so deliciously low. I had a wild theory with this movie as well. Please, let's hear it. Higgins and Eliza have their fight at the end. And she says, you will never see me again. And leaves. My want for this is that when we see her return at the end... It's not her. I think it's just his imagination then. That could be it, but I don't think it is. But we're going, I want I want to believe that it's just him imagining. That's what they did in the revival. She's a mirage. Right. He goes, where the devil are my slippers? And she enters and she just walks right past him and like up the staircase into like a white light. What's interesting is that like you never... They don't look at each other. Granted, that's also another form of classism there at the end. But, like, he just assumes that she's there. So it would have been interesting if, like, she really wasn't there. Ooh, spooky. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want. Let's talk about the show for a hot... The actual stage production for a hot second. So My Fair Lady, like you said, is based off the 1913 play Pygmalion. Um, it premiered on Broadway in 1956. Sorry, it had its Philadelphia out-of-town premiere in February 1956. It moved to Broadway a month later, and it played for six years, which held the record at the time with 2,717 performances. Uh, It was directed by Hanya Holm. Nope, I lied. It was directed by Moss Hart, and Hanya Holm was the choreographer, where, I mean, the movie had some choreography. I feel like you could have done more in terms of choreo. Like, Loverly was a little, it could be a little more dancey, I feel like. Um, we go to the ball, and that that is wild. But I feel like they could have, they could have had more. But I don't think the three of them are dancers. No, you really have two actors and one person who's a who's a, and who's an actor who just happens to have the most beautiful voice. Because Henry Higgins, I mean, it's Brexinger, the whole musical, the whole movie. He just talks things. Can you say that word one more time? Sprechtsinger. I'll send you the Sprechtsinger. It is uh, German. I I, uh, I assume for speak for speaking. But you're saying he's an actor who can like move and sing, quote unquote. No, I'm saying that he's. It's per- usually played by an actor, actor, an actor oh. who has a good sense of rhythm. Because then, the show itself has, it's all like all of his stuff is. It's all like kind of lives in a very small range. And that's because Rex Harrison himself did openly admits he's like, I don't sing. <laughs> Straight, no chaser. I don't sing. But then you, which is why, you know, Eliza does most of the heavy lifting musically. (laughs) 
true. <laughs> no, I but mean, it's really I, in, in truth, Eliza does heavy lifting for everybody in this I'm, movie. I'm thinking in terms of the movie where it's like Audrey Hepburn is doing the acting, but Marty Nixon is doing this. Yep. <laughs> Usually, but like you want to get one person to do it all. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. That's um, the ideal scenario, anyway. Let's see. Oh, so the other thing too is that we we talk about how Higgins is classist, but I feel like he also doesn't have social skills. Yeah, he's inept. So his mother doesn't his mother call him boorish or something? A brute. Yes, sure. That's the word. <laughs> I think well, even talking to Pickering, his his lover. Let's be real here; they're lovers. He doesn't really talk, have a conversation. He talks to Pickering. He doesn't talk with Pickering. And like like we talked about earlier that he treats Eliza like garbage and that's classism. But also I think it's part of like socially. And I mean, it's very possible he would have been, he today, Henry Higgins would have been somewhere on the autism spectrum. Yes. Yeah, that's where I was going with it. Because like, and like, because you see the mother, his mother, and you're like you're such a lovely person mm-hmm. and clearly it's him but like right what happened let's Nobody do what he knows let's do the backstory on higgins <laughs> really make him a villain or something yeah you want to go full tilt okay yeah let's go full wicked on it um by the way, that that revival that we're, we've been talking about, everyone, it happened in 2018, and then I was so close. Yeah, I said 2019. I'm like, I couldn't remember. So five years ago, where Diana Rigg played Mrs. Higgins. Fuck, I missed that. Yeah, she was incredible, and I didn't realize that she had played Eliza in London. She did. Yeah, she was one of the Elizas, one of the many Elizas in the London production, and I think the Toronto production as well. Holy she shit. was a gift. She was a gift on stage. Um, Norbert Leo Butts was Alfred Doolittle, and he was everything. I mean, just full on, full on buffoonery, clown work. It was such a delight. And I didn't like the actress that they had for Eliza because they picked a television actress who could sort of sing. And I sat in this and I'm like, the score sounds like fantastic. Like hearing that score, I was emotional, John. I will say this. I was emotional when I heard that score live for the first time. Because 2018, I would have been 20. Five years ago. 29 years old yeah um and i hadn't heard that score since i was 14 like live so i i had a very emotional visceral reaction to just hearing that music again not on a not on a cd or streaming or any other thing it's like it's there it's in my face there's a full like 30 piece orchestra i just i wept and I was like, I can deal with Eliza, this Eliza not being able to sing if I could just listen to this score over and over again and pretend somebody else is singing Eliza. For, but for the movie, yes, do you think that they could have cut things out? Yes. I think we could have gotten, we, I think, maybe not cut things out completely, but things could have been short. Well, yeah, there's, like, the, there's the scene with Doolittle meets Higgins and Pickering. Mm-hmm. And th- 
they're just talking in circles and i was just like can we <laughs> cut some Must of we? this <laughs> let's cut some cut the fat and just get to the point like right 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 i, I don't feel like we also needed an intermission and an entreact well, that's that was something they used to do in those old movie musicals. Sometimes, is they would just throw those in there to make you. And it was true. I'm like, it did give people the opportunity to like get up and move around in the movie theater. <laughs> but I'm talking about because like three hours. It's almost three hours. I know. They really could have cut some things or shortened things, as you will. Some dialogue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it is a wordy, mouthy musical. Movie. So can I, can I read to you what I wrote down for a hymn to him? Why can't women be more like men? Sure. <laughs> I just wrote, no, I can't. Fuck off. Mary, we need to talk. Because there's because <laughs> <laughs> there's moments where he's like you know we're men why can't we if i go hang out with another man and have and women can't be all like hot and bothered about that i was like girl (laughs) girl we need we need to come to jesus moment for you (laughs) yeah yeah for somebody who is supposedly the best in his field he is uh how do i put this <laughs> clueless about some common sense things well and all and also about some facts about himself mm. where you're like colonel pickering is is isn't there just to hang out let's be real here just say <laughs> it just be like i'm date we're dating just right. do it they're just hanging out. They're there you are. roommates. <laughs> and those were with air quotes, everyone who couldn't see because this is an audio medium. I forgot for a hot second. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, I like this movie. Yes, it's long. Yes, there is definitely some weird anti-feminist propaganda kind of going on. But also somewhat feminist because there's moments where she puts on her pussy hat and slaps around the men. They're like, Mm. no, you listen to me. And then who knows if at the end she actually comes back. I'm still holding out hope that she doesn't come back. But that's, (laughs) but I think I think I shouldn't hold my breath on that one. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, I did like the costumes. It did feel like, though, that they were very fifth, 60s inspired. <laughs> so they're not totally histo- hi- like history. Uh, it's not historic as historically historic. accurate. Yes. It's, it's sti- but like, they're still pretty. Ascot Cavat is just a fashion show. It is. All the hats and all the bodycon dresses. Oh my God. I remember making those hats when we were in high school too, like helping build those hats. That's what I did when I wasn't in rehearsal. I was with the costume moms, <laughs> hot gluing. <laughs> 
at least 50 hats. I wanted to keep my hat after the show because I made my hat and I made it so that it matched my dress exactly. So everybody, what I think I'm going to do, and I said this to John privately, uh, is that I recently got all the photo albums back from my parents' house uh, out east on Long Island. <laughs> and um, I documented that year, those high school years, like crazy, because you know, this is the time before having camera phones, right? So the only way you got pictures was if you actually took them and then, you know, paid to get them developed. So I have... We old, everyone. We at old. my apartment, there's pictures of John and I as young teenagers. I'm going to send them to John and I'll leave it to John's discretion as to whether or not he's actually going to share them. I'm giving you permission to do so. Okay. Uh, there are re some really cute pictures of the two of us um, in high school doing this musical. Because um, I will say this, I, that I think was when you and I really kind of started to get close a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, there's definitely pictures of you um, with John, like you had my character shoes and you were using them to like walk around on your hands or something. I mean, like, it's like real dumb shit. <laughs> We're teenagers. We're teenagers. Well, in fairness, yeah. well, I, when I, and, you know, I think about the schedule then, like we were in class from like 7, 10 in the morning till 1.50 in the afternoon. Then you were in rehearsal from 2 to 5. I mean, we were in that building for 10 hours a day, five days a week for almost like four months. So yeah, I would say the brain damage is real. And this is the show where we had to skip around the school for one rehearsal. Yeah. Again, Louise, I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> I'm going to leave it at that. You, you guys imagine what I'm talking about, but Laura, <laughs> Laura knows. And if you went to Newfield high school and you were in the, what is this? This is 2003, 2004, 2004 the 2004 production of my fair lady. You understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we did talk about the movie, right? We did. <laughs> we did talk about the movie. Okay. I talked about the movie. I, I would like to add that, you know, it's, if nothing else, it's actually a wonderful masterclass in acting. I mean, Rex Harrison and Audrey Hepburn are at the top of their game in this movie. The entire supporting cast is fantastic so yes it's long yes all of the things that we said are also true uh but i want to point out that if you haven't seen it yet i do recommend taking a break take the intermission i did i slept i watched <laughs> the first act <laughs> last night and then I woke up, did some things around the apartment, and then I watched the second act before coming on this podcast. I, it does help to break it up. You can do it. You want to sit the whole three hours. I mean, obviously I knock it. yourself out. That's but, what I did, yeah. Well, it, it does help to get up and walk away. I think. <laughs> I'm like, there's a reason we, there's, we have intermission. Um, I do have a one last question before we get into Sharp and Flat. You mm -hmm. as an actor. Um, yes. So there's a moment before the moment before the rain in Spain when she gets it, it seems a little like, well, I don't know how much time has actually passed within the world of the movie, but it feels like it's just like an epiphany that she finally understands the accent and everything. I think it's been, I believe, because you have that whole, the, the quartet or the octet, however many people he has working for him doing those. Fuck the, the servants chorus. 
Fuck right. that song. Anyway. Okay, but anyway, that is supposed to just show the passage of time. So you, I think it's been weeks. Maybe even, uh, you know, a month, uh, maybe like two months have gone by at this point. But has there been an accent that you tried to master that just clicked? Yes. But I also uh, would describe myself as an outlier in this regard. I think all the years of music training has given me an advantage of picking up accents and dialects very quickly. I really only need to listen to somebody from that world, from wherever the world is, talk for about 20 minutes. And I can pretty much pick up on like what the vowel shapes should be. And in that regard, I'm a weirdo. But if you're like, so I'll, I'll give a better example because I'm not, I'm not a prime example. Somebody who's going to for actual speech therapy, whether they're working through a lisp or they're working through a tongue tie you know, they're, they're basically working to strengthen those muscles. Um, there are times where, you know, you're frustrated, you're frustrated, you're plateauing for a long period of time. And then all of a sudden there is something gives and things click into place. That does happen. I think it's less frequent than a gradual shift, but I also think that this is, you know, we have to suspend our disbelief a little bit. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't sure. Cause like, <laughs> I know it's a movie and I know things can happen, but like, I feel like we're seeing them frustrated a lot and they're right. It, it, it feels like montage. at least with this type of training, mm-hmm. wouldn't we, would we see more of a gradual or is it just like everyone's different and it just depends on the person? I think the latter is more true than the former, meaning that everybody is different. I do believe that, like I said, it's more frequent that it will be a gradual shift, Mm -hmm. but I'm also not a speech therapist or a speech pathologist. So I, I, I can only give you my, my educated opinion as like a voice professional because like, like a voice teacher, you know, there's moments that I wish that they explored more Mm -hmm. where, he corrects her and she's like i said that that's what i said right and like i don't know i think i wanted more of the speech pathology side and with but like with a better bedside manner than what we got that is probably true (laughs) that is probably true And and it goes back to what you had said originally which is why we don't like which is why most people don't like henry higgins to begin with Mm. But like, unlike She's All That and any other modern retelling of this movie, at least Eliza is in on the wager. She knows. Well, yeah, she she has she has full autonomy. I, I mean, like Pickering like lays on Higgins, like you know, if you fail, if she fails, you fail, and like really, this is your name. And I, I hate to even say it, but like she's whatever. Like nobody. If she fails, she can go back to her old life and nobody would care. Right. The gains and the losses are a little bit different. Yeah. You know, but, that, you know, and that's what was funny. And, you know, and the congratulations, Professor Higgins thing at the top of the second half. The ultimate test is Eliza dancing with Higgins' former student, who is now a teacher of phonetics. Because actually what he is, he's a professor of phonetics, how we make sound, how we shape sounds with our mouth. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why, you know, he does 
to his credit, he's like, I'm almost positive that she can fool him. And, you know, and then and he does, you know, ultimately he's like, oh, yeah, I spoke to him afterwards. And he's like, oh, how dare you try and trick me? I knew immediately that she was, um, you know, the highest class. She's royalty. And, you know, she's Hungarian. Her English is so perfect. She can't be from our, this country. Yeah. And that's the, that was the goal, right? That, yep. That was know, the thing. You want her to pass. As a Hungarian. But does he say a Hungarian at the top? Uh, no, he does not. The a student of the former student of Henry Higgins is the one who thinks that she's Hungarian. And then you see like the whole line of people gossiping, and I'm like, that's a little too over the top. But I get it. It's for a movie. It's like, uh, well, so uh, Rex Harrison was in the stage version as well as yes. Stanley Holloway, who yep. played Doolittle. Uh, played Doolittle. So. You have two people who were actually in the state original stage version, probably more. So I feel like they may have cast a lot of stage actors to do that moment. Mm-hmm. To be like, did you hear? Have you seen this? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> what's the buzz? Tell, Tell me what's happening. Okay. Different musical. Sorry, everybody. We're singing Jesus Christ Superstar. I think it's time to get into Sharps and Flats. Shall we? <laughs> okay. Sharp flat. So in this section, we're going to highlight some moments whether or not we talked about it. If we liked it, it's sharp. And if we didn't like it, I thought it could change. It's flat. And because I've been hating on this movie, I think I want to end with sharps because it's a high note. Hooray. So I honestly don't have that many sharps nor flats. Surprisingly. (laughs) (laughs) Shocking. We talked a lot. So let's start with your flats then. So, um... Okay, my first flat is Audrey Hepburn's Cockney accent. It felt a little caricature-y. Yeah, it's up there with Dick Van Dyke's, isn't it? Yeah, but like, <laughs> yeah. But like, I feel like Doolittle's accent felt a little more sincere. And Audrey Hepburn, she's... She's Belgian. She's Belgian. Actually. Of Belgian royalty. She's Belgian and English. That's right. So she has, she, when she speaks English, she, uh, with her, with an American accent, she still has some sort of dialect to it. So, um, but yeah, let's go with that. Um, I also want to flat Henry Higgins. I'm flatting Alfie Doolittle as well. Um, both of them can go fuck off. Uh, <laughs> right to the point this is good great. yeah uh i want a flat servants chorus because fuck off and then i'm flatting eliza going back to higgins at the end i had to i had to you knew what? you knew it was coming <laughs> i did i did know this is true this is true but what are your flats <sighs> okay i would have i mean i i love audrey hepburn I really think they should have, that Warner Brothers should have taken the bet on Julie Andrews mm. and cast Julie. I think that would have made a very big difference. And also it would have been cheaper, really. Probably. Cause, yeah, cause she wasn't paying, that famous. <laughs> well, you're paying one person instead of two yes. people. Yes, that's true too. So That's true too. So that is my biggest flat. I think that's really the biggest crime that happens it, from for this whole movie musical is that you is that warner brothers made a big mistake <laughs> made, a big, made a big oopsie 
They did. I don't know if they even ever apologized for it either. So, I mean, who the heck knows? Uh, I would, I don't have a, a lot of flats because I do actually like this movie aside from the things we've already discussed. Um, so I think that I'm, I'm just going to stick with that. Well, like that's, I, that's like my ultimate flat, the flattest got, of the flats. I got a little Seven Brides feeling with this where it's like, it's the hidden nostalgia because it's classic Hollywood, but mm-hmm. like we know it's bad, right? <laughs> like it's not. Of course, a- okay. of course. Okay. No, no, no. I'm not arguing that at all. My sharps all include the um, like the real positives of this movie. Do I think Eliza is the best role model in musical theater for young women and those who identify as a woman? No, no, she's not. She is not the whole package, but there are very large parts of her that actually, if she were given, you know, if she didn't have to worry about supporting her father or supporting, you know, potentially Freddie, she could be very successful. I mean, that's the biggest thing. I, I mean, I sharped her arguments with Higgins post ball and Mm -hmm. as well as the mother's plays because, like. Girl, you need. I got you pussy hats. We 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 will. I'll make you one. I'll make myself mm-hmm. one. We will bitch slap Henry, <laughs> Henry Higgins. Let's go. Yeah. I'm here for yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also yeah. I also sharped Freddie just because he's so sweet. <laughs> the whole movie, he's so sweet. Yes, he's a little bit of a man. Uh, yes, I think he's just lusting after her because she's pretty. But like, he's not terrible. <laughs> <laughs> for lack of a better word he's the standards had... for the men are so low in this movie musical. yeah he, so low like i would have started pickering too but like i don't even want an i don't want a natural him i don't want to start pickering i just he's just there he's fine exactly. um, i'm like he's bland it's fine he's bland. <laughs> and then my last sharp is for the costumes i had to uh-huh. as well. like that the ask about like i said is just a pure fashion show and like project runway on steroids and acid and like her gown for that as well as the ball well i mean her gown for the ascot Kavat is like so iconic that it's it is part of the goddamn poster it's i mean it's also like drag um high it's high drag yeah, let's be real. The costumes it, when she beco- when she joins the upper class, all of it is high drag art. Like the and- <laughs> her ball dress, her ball gown. Yes. Oh God, stunning! Stunning. Granted, very inspired by the sixties, but stunning. But the necklines and like all the things, like all the construction of those gowns is still mm-hmm. period appropriate. You know? Yeah. 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 What, do you have any other sharps? Nope, Sharpay? just those three. Those, those are the ones. Those are the three. All right. Well, I already said this score is one of my favorites. It's luscious. It's a when it's done well, it's just it's beautiful. And I think that you know having you know Warner Brothers budget, they were able to get the best musician, so it just sounds stunning i <laughs> love it i have to give marnie nixon her flowers because i don't think you know she passed away not too long ago like in the last five years i don't i firmly believe she never got her flowers not nearly what she deserved in her life for the amount of work that she did to make 
movies like this possible. I agree know? with you. I, I'm going to add her as a shark too because yeah. she she's a gift. She's a she gift. Was such a gift um, for so many reasons. Such a gift. And she's and... this is like her fourth or fifth time on on this podcast. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I mean you can look and see what movies that she dubbed people for. Mm-hmm. Um, oh wait, there's some biggies, some real biggies. So this we, is a biggie. so it was Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, The King and I, yep. uh, West Side Story, Mary Poppins, and My Fair Lady. Oh, yeah. and then Sound of Music six. So she's done six of six. Um, really big budget episodes. productions. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's more more to come with her, but like those are the Yay. six ones that we've done on here that she's yes. covered. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Rex. I know that Higgins is an asshole, but I think Rex Harrison does asshole so well. I mean, I mean, it is kind of maybe it is just part of his personality, but he does asshole real good. <laughs> like he he makes you want to hate him, and that is kind of the success of that relationship between between this triangle of Pickering, who's kind of neutral, Henry Higgins, and then Eliza Doolittle. Um, why, as a triangle, they're a little trio, why I think the chemistry works so well is because you have these two fire-breathing dragons in Higgins and Eliza, and then Colonel Pickering is kind of neutral, kind of keeping the two of them from killing each other. I really think that's why Colonel Pickering gets to stick around as long as he does. Because he's just like, I'm just really here to make sure neither of them dies. And I need a place to stay because I came all the way from India. And the butt sex. (laughs) I suppose that too. Yes, yes. If we go down, if we believe that in that theory, then yes, that as well. Oh, come on. You know the writers of Will and Grace were onto something. And I... (laughs) Probably, yes. They were gay, my friend. They were gay. (laughs) Okay. All right. We'll go. We'll we'll go with that theory for this episode. Um, what yes! else I like to sharp? I would like to sharp. I mean, my favorite song in the whole movie is um, "Show Me." "Show Me" is my favorite song of hers. I think there. I mean, the other songs are also great, but I "Show Me" is my favorite because I think often especially and even in today's like i even say in today's like dating world i'm I'm back on the apps for the first time in over a year and it really is interesting like the the concept of like action speaking louder than words and you know eliza at that point in the movie has hit a wall she went straight through she just finished her argument, that massive argument with uh, Higgins, and now she's back on Tottenham Court Road, and she's freaking out. And then she sees Freddie, and he's like, "Ah, oh, but you're the most beautiful thing, and I love you, and let me, and I'm going to do all these things, and blah, blah, blah. And she just starts whooping out. Like, nah, show me what you're going to do. Don't talk about what you're going to do. Don't, don't, you know, philosophize. Don't romanticize. Like, just kiss me. Right, but like Get he's to the point. He's Get also to trying to kiss her the whole time, and she's just while she's flipping out. Yeah, while she's flipping out. So I feel that's like that's why it's funny. That's I feel why like it's, it's my a, favorite. It's also a moment where like this is this is where he's being a man because right. even though I sharped him for being a nice man, he's still a man. Of course. Well, you know, it's not. It's it, it is what it is. So that's I, I would say those are all my sharp 
Yes. Oh, and I would say um, the housekeeper. Oh my God, what's her name? Mrs. Fuck. <laughs> That's not her name, John. <laughs> Mrs. Pierce. Mrs. Pierce gets a shark from me as well. I enjoyed her. That's that that that's all the ones I have. Okay. Uh would you add any of the songs to your life's playlist? I mean, I I already did slash do, but I used um the Broadway album, not the <laughs> movie album. Because Julie. And it's nothing because Julie, yes. And also, um I and again it's it, it's just it's the one that I listened to first. So I like all the songs, but if I were to pick just two, I would say Show Me, and I would say, oh, uh, Just You Wait is another fun one. As much as I reference Just You Wait in my everyday life, I'm Mm -hmm. going to say, no, I don't want to add any songs to my life's playlist. That's fine. That's fine. I don't think I want to. I think after this, I'm washing my hands clean of this movie. (laughs) Ah, <laughs> if anyone wants to do a second chance of this go to another podcast i'm not doing- <laughs> well is that you can just sit there and just go no 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 okay no, or, I can, or i can or i can host it and be a guest host okay <laughs> i like this plan <laughs> i thought of that just now i'm like well if you don't want to host it i will you host it and i'll still edit it and be, do the, I'll do the intro and the ending. How's that? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So we'll just have you just go, I couldn't do it. So here's Lauren. <laughs> I couldn't do it a second time. Well, Lauren. Too much, too much trauma bonding. <laughs> On that note, Lauren, we're done oh. with the episode. Finally. We did it. We did it. It wasn't as painful as I thought it was going to be. Well, you know, the good news is, is that you and I have enough history with the show that we can kind of, you know, we can talk about the movie, but we can also talk about the fact that we're both somewhat traumatized with things <laughs> that happened between 2003 and 2004. Yeah. Facts are facts. Let's go. We can go 2003 to 2006. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, yeah, well, I just, I just was trying to be specific to this time period. I too can do all the years, but like... <laughs> compartmentalize Um, put it where it belongs what do you have to plug or promote oh my god Ah, that's a great question actually (laughs) i'm working on a bunch of different things and i'm actually in callbacks for stuff right now but without having yeah you know with the strike going on it's kind of put some of the things that i was working on you know on hold so I don't really know. I, I come visit me at the Lori Beachman Theater or at Forest Hills Stadium. Uh, those are the two venues, the two major venues I work for. You can find me there, most likely running around like a chicken without a head. But I'm there. <laughs> and then you've got, I mean, if you have any announcements to make, you'll put it on instagram maybe if you really if people are really interested they can find me on instagram and if they're really really interested they can find me on linkedin and you won't be able to find me on any of the normal dating apps so i guess if you want to get with me you're gonna have to go through instagram (laughs) (laughs) i'm very picky about what apps i go on now unlike unlike jason you have to go through instagram to tell lauren she's pretty (laughs) <laughs> I mean, every little bit helps. Every little bit helps. Um, and 
fuck it. If you have any stories from your time on My Fair Lady, because I feel like this is a show almost every high school does at least once every 10 years. I would say, yeah, once every 10 or 15 years, somebody's like, well, I should do My Fair Lady. We have one girl who can hit a high A. We should we could totally do it. <laughs> if you're that one girl who can hit the high A and you were in your high school production of My Fair Lady, you can email me at buttersongpod at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at buttersongpod. Oh, I'm still calling it Twitter. I don't know why. Um, I mean, it, it's just the letter X, isn't it's just it? X, yeah, it's X. He's so he's such a goddamn idiot. Don't get me started. And if you want to be part of next episode's conversation, while well, we're starting spooky season with a very Potter senior year, what episode number is this anyway? Two seventy-two. Damn! Ooh, we're a palindrome. That's fun. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening, Lauren. Thank you so much for coming back on. I'm sorry if I was such a Debbie Downer, but I was hate watching this yesterday and I was like, That's, we need to finish. We need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> totally fair. Totally fair. Uh, and everyone, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and bye for now. Ciao, ciao. Bye. Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day. <laughs>